0: Spencer, you were racing your bike this weekend and uh, I can see you crashed. You have like scrapes on your arms and stuff like that. Take me through your crash.
1: Yeah, Fred. It was one of those dumb ones where you're just not paying attention. Your front wheel slightly drifts off the trail and then bam, smacks a rock and then you just kind of land straight on your chest or leg. I got a nice bruise on one of my legs actually. But the good thing is I didn't hit my head. So that's important. But thankfully, I was wearing Smith's Session Helmet for this. Smith is sponsoring our coverage of the Epic Rides Mountain Bike Series. They're also sponsoring this great podcast. And um, that's Smith's Session Helmet. I mean, if I do need it, it's definitely going to protect me pretty well. It's got the MIPS system, which protects against rotational forces. It's also got Smith's choroid material, that crazy honeycomb stuff in strategic places. It's really super strong protective material. So yeah, you know, I can head out to these mountain bike races and take some chances. Well, I
0: probably shouldn't, but I sometimes do. Yeah, Spencer, we need you typing away on your computer. So uh, maybe 80% rule don't go harder than 80% of your abilities. Good point. And I won't crash on the moneymaker, you know. My hands. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, thanks again to Smith for sponsoring this episode of the Velo News Podcast. Guys, let's get to the show. You're tuned into the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. We have to have an emergency podcast <laughs> on this Friday afternoon. You're probably listening to this on Saturday. Maybe you're actually riding your bike. Hey, have a great Saturday ride. Yeah. But yeah, emergency podcast. I'm joined by Spencer Polson, News Director of News. Hey, hey. And Dane Cash, back from California. Hey, guys. And guys, the reason for this emergency podcast is that this morning, Friday, we saw perhaps the most dramatic Grand Tour stage of our generation. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm going to be hyperbolic. Wow. I'm, I'm going to say that this was perhaps the best, or worse, if you're not a Chris Froome oh. fan, uh, Grand Tour stage The last twenty years. Wait, our generation or your generation, Fred? Because your generation is probably like going
1: back to like Claudio Chiappucci or like one of those guys in the mid nineties. That's true. Andy Hampson's
0: -er. Hampson's ride. Gen -er Xer over here. Gavia was much better, but uh, it was stage nineteen of the Giro d'Italia, and we saw Chris Froome just drop the hammer on the entire field. It was something that we thought was potentially going to happen. Our very own Andy Hood wrote a story predicting something like this. But I don't think any of us saw predicted that it would happen to this degree. So Chris Froome was able to drop everyone on the Col de Finestre and ride into the Malia Rosa. He's now winning the Giro. We're very much looking at a situation where he could win the race. We were right, I guess. We we put him in the magazine as our number one favorite, and I guess we were right. I guess so. So, Dane, take us through the events of the day. How did Chris Froome pull off this mighty raid?
2: Yeah, there were multiple points during the day where it seemed like something crazy was going on, and and then, you know, things would kind of quiet down, and then something crazy happened again. So the first big crazy thing was when the guy who was leading the Giro d'Italia up until this morning got dropped, uh, Simon Yates was not looking good all morning. Breakaway got away. Yates was kind of at the back of the peloton, really struggling, and then he just, you know, kind of blew up. And then there, his uh, his Giro aspirations went up in smoke. That was a that was like a big story. That was a huge story of the day until Chris Froome came along, and then that became the big story of the day. Well, Dane, he blew up because Team Sky was on the front, all
0: five riders riding a super hard team time trial up the Col de Finestre.
2: Yeah. Chris Froome being outside of the GC conversation for the first like two weeks, I think maybe lulled the peloton into forgetting that the Sky Train they're still here. Oh uh, yeah, they definitely the big old <laughs> Sky Dogs are still there, just waiting for their man to be in GC contention. And today, when they smelled blood, they came out in force. Yates was the first of the big casualties, but he was not the last. So uh, once Yates was dropped, the Sky Train kept on rolling. And then uh, on the Col de la Finestra, Chris Froome just. Dropped everybody, just blew everybody away, kept on climbing, and got a you know a nice little gap at first.
1: Over the top was like almost 40 seconds, yeah, wasn't it? But, yeah, but
2: nowhere near the final gap he ended up. No, there. not at all. On the descent, he picked up a lot more time, like a minute on the descent off the Finestra. And then he hits the Sestria, and, and that another place where he picked up time. And uh, Tom Dumoulin behind with, with Thibaut Pino, Sebastian Reichenbach, and uh, a couple other guys Lopez, tried to Lopez, Carapaz. Yeah, yeah yep. they, they formed a little group. Five of them there was some waiting going on as they kind of all regrouped and Chris Froome's taking advantage of that, picking mm. up time and then, yeah, over the Sestria and then back on the descent and then onto the final climb of the Jaffrao. Froome just kept picking up time everywhere he could. He kept adding time and then at the end of the day, Chris Froome's in pink by a pretty hefty margin.
1: Yeah, he came home three minutes ahead. Richard Carapaz second, Thibaut Pino third, got those bonus seconds. More important, well, importantly as well, Tom Dumoulin not getting into the bonus seconds on the finish there, right. finishing fifth. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Froome is in pink, one mountain stage to go, and he's 40 seconds
0: up on Tom Dumoulin. So, as our Andrew Hood had written, the prospect of a Froome raid on this stage was definitely out there. You know, on stage 18 in the finale, Simon Yates showed some signs of weaknesses. Uh, Froome attacked with wild poles and Tom Dumoulin near the summit finish, and Yates just wasn't able to go. And the gap opened slowly and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger while poles took a round turn. Everyone had a good laugh at that. But in the end, uh, Yates ceded a pretty good amount of time to Dumoulin and that's when the cries of blood in the water, I feel like, really started to come out because Yates has looked untouchable up to this point. He's looked so strong, especially on the steep climbs. So to see him falter into a summit finish... There was this thought that, well, maybe if the right type of pressure could be applied, he would go crack. And, of course, Team Sky, they are built to apply that type of pressure. And so, you know, we we saw them. It was the bottom of the Fenestra and the entire team gets to the front and just starts hammering it. But, guys, that's not even the most impressive part of the day. I think that the most impressive part of this whole thing was that, you well- know, this was going to happen. So we have, uh, we have an interview with Froome from the press conference and he talked about how, I don't know, he's, he was almost calling his shot beforehand.
1: Yeah, it was, it's pretty crazy. And, uh, please excuse all the little tip taps and typing in the background. That's just our intrepid reporters making sure they get all the details right. Hard for at their work. Stories. Yeah. Hard at work for felonies.com. But here's Chris Froome from the post-race press conference here after stage 19. <music>
3: I mean, if I if I was just going to wait for the final climb, I I definitely wasn't going to make three minutes up on uh, the the pink jersey, Um, so we took the decision to to really make the race on Col de la Finestra, uh, a climb that uh, we know really well. And uh, I I was I was here last year for training uh, training camp and I know the area really well as well. Like I know the roads like the back of my hand, so it was uh, really made it. a lot. I've got some good memories from from this area, so it made it a lot easier on the road today knowing what was coming and How to how to pace myself correctly. I think it was a it was a big risk to, to attack that far from the finish, but um, It was also a calculated risk. We'd looked at all the different scenarios, and we thought if, uh, if there's really not a big group there and other teams don't have a lot of domestiques to to help to to, to bring the pace back then it's actually the the leaders the GC riders themselves who have to do the same effort as me in front so I think it was it was well calculated the the team were fantastic they they really we had a very aggressive start to the stage today a lot of big attacks excuse me and um, the, the team made a really, really strong pace on the bottom of Col de la Finestra to, 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 to set up uh, the, the situation for me to, to, to go, basically. So, I mean, it, it, it was, uh, yeah, it's great to, to ride like this. I mean, this is, this is uh, I think, bike racing is, this is what it's all about. And uh, especially in the Giro d'Italia, things can change so quickly. Uh, as we've as we've seen in, in, in the last few days, so uh, we're definitely not going to take anything for granted at this stage. Uh, tomorrow is a very hard stage, and um, we're definitely not going to celebrate uh, anything just yet. I mean, it's a very hard stage tomorrow, and uh, we've seen how quickly things can change here.
2: Between uh, uh, Giro d'Italia and de France, in our
3: new in in my opinion, the Giro is a lot lot uh, m- uh, more unpredictable. It's uh, it's it's a lot more explosive. Um, the race can just turn on its head for for no apparent reason, and uh, it, it makes it a. Uh, it, 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 in my opinion, it's more like. The classics version of a Grand Tour, uh, anything can happen, and it's it's a much more open race. Um, whereas the Tour is obviously the, the levels at the, the highest level at the Tour, you have all the strongest riders, all the strongest teams, but it's uh, it's more controlled, and uh, you can almost uh, I'd say you can there's there's an expected way of racing in the Tour, whereas the Giro we saw today, anything can happen
2: sapere quando hai realmente capito che avevi fatto un'impresa colossale nel durante la corsa c'è stato un momento in cui hai capito che sarebbe finita così o l'hai capito soltanto per guardare
3: yeah i mean it was only all, all the time uh, I was getting the time checks from the, from the motorbike and from uh, from the team radio um, I was always there 20 30 seconds from the pink jersey um, but I, I didn't know how much they they were still gonna race on the final climb behind me and how much how much they had left if they were gonna close this this three minutes to me or um, if it was going if Tom still had uh, really good legs or not and I think in the end we we almost went the same speed uh, the 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 Dumoulin group and and my group, and, and me, sorry, <laughs> me, myself and I, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, I think we, uh, uh, it was, I, I got the feeling that everyone was was on the limit, uh, and that's, I mean, that's what everyone wants to see is bike racing, that's just raw, raw bike racing. Okay, congratulations. Did you. you never think, what the hell am I doing here, and then, uh, will you be able to save anything for tomorrow in your life? You mean throughout this year, or just today, what am I doing here? Yeah. Today. 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 Um, I mean, obviously, it was a hard start to this Giro, so it begs the question, I mean, but I, I've always kept a little bit of faith for that, that it was always my objective to come to the last week in the best condition possible, and knowing how hard these last few days are going to be. I think we've 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 done that really well, uh, managed that uh, coming into this last week, but um, yeah, uh, for a few moments there, especially in the valley on my own, I I thought this is this is crazy. This is a bit. Uh, I've, I've definitely never done this before, but actually, it's the perfect scenario. I'm not gonna. As I said at the beginning, I'm not going to make up three minutes if I just wait for the last climb. Um, this is going to take something um, a bit, a bit more. Yes, congratulations and uh, amazing ride! Thank you. Um, David said on the television um, that uh, yesterday evening the whole team gathered together, also the nutritionist, uh, the physios, everybody. bit. Uh, explain in detail what kind of preparation did you do for the exploit I mean, for for a stage like that, it's a there's a lot of planning that goes into that. I mean, a lot of detail, a lot of uh, you have to really look at the nutritional requirements of a stage like that and uh, uh, come up with a, a good fueling strategy for that. Um, you've got to obviously. Um, come up with a strategy for how, how the guys are going to execute the ride, who's going to do what jobs, um, and I have to say the team has been absolutely fantastic in that regard. Everyone, uh, we did exactly what we spoke about uh, when, when we came up with this idea, and um, it was just amazing to be able to, to put the plan into action and for it to, to have worked like that, it was just such a, such a special feeling. I um, do you think that uh, what you did today can change the perception, your public perception, uh, on, on particularly on the shep, uh, skeptic uh, supporter of cycling, the people that are skeptical about your past and results? And that if you think that what you did today can change their view and I mean, today was just raw bike racing, I mean, it's that's just, that's the Giro d'Italia. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, what can I say, I mean, this, uh, if I stay at the back or I at the front, it will always be uh, one comment one way or the other. So, I mean, it, it doesn't change anything, it doesn't change how Almost I... On the Finestre, we saw <clears throat> the, the, the two guys with the biggest... Uh, Spray for asthma. Did you see them? I didn't see them. I was probably watching the road. <laughs> but the, I have to say the 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 support here during the Giro has been incredible. Uh, that chapeau to all the tifosi here. It's been it's been an amazing experience and one I didn't actually expect um, this kind of support and reception in Italy. So I'm, I'm yeah really thank you grazie mille to to, to everyone. More funny than the the urine in your face. Yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely none of that happening. So it's, it's been fantastic on the roads. Ultima domanda, scusate. Ultima domanda. Chris, alla vigilia ma che alla Tirreno-Adriatico, qualche giornalista ti ha chiesto, ti ha detto perché non ti sei fermato, perché continui a correre, e ma anche qualche tuo collega, Tom Dumoulin ad esempio, alla vigilia del giro ha detto io nelle sue condizioni non sarei qui. As, as I've said from the beginning of the race, I mean, there's a, there's a process in place for me to, to demonstrate that I've done nothing wrong. I know I've done nothing wrong, and uh, it's just a matter of time until, uh, until that's clear to everyone. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so do we think Chris Froome is holding on to win this year,
2: d'Italia? Yeah. I think probably. uh, Yeah, he definitely went into the red today. So I I don't know that I expect him to be just as strong, like picking up another three minutes tomorrow.
1: No, no, no. I don't think so either.
2: But I also don't think he's going to crack. He's going to defend.
1: He's going to defend. Yeah. That's something that Froome and Sky are so good at doing. They're going to defend three big climbs. And also, I'd say this this stage on uh, Saturday, stage 20, the three climbs are in the second half of the race. So the first half, long kind of flat rolling run. I think it should be no problem for them to get into those climbs, and I think there's less of a chance of an ambush because you don't have as many weird early climbs to throw a monkey wrench in the in the basic plan of chasing and covering everything.
2: Plus, I mean, the rivals who might be able to take him on, I don't know if they're in this bike race right now. First of all, Simon Yates was looking great, and now he's not looking so great. And Tom Dumoulin, is, he's a good climber, but he's not the kind of climber that I'd expect to just... Go knock Chris Froome out on this. Stage. He's
1: not an attacker. That's the yeah. difference. He yeah. he rides his tempo. That's what he was doing in this stage 19, and it didn't didn't pan out because obviously his tempo wasn't strong enough, and uh, and also I mean it was just tough with that that group of riders he was with. Uh, you know there was a few factors really that went into Froome's victory, and uh, you know a lot of people on Twitter on social media freaking out about this. You know getting out the pitchforks, lighting a fire. Froome, very controversial rider, of course. He's got the outstanding salbutamol issue. We'll see how that gets resolved. So there's a lot of people out there that are kind of upset about this real result, kind of upset about this race. It's hard to know how to feel about it, um, but I, I think that there were some factors in this race that that maybe it can help explain it a little bit.
0: Yeah, okay, so let's get to the takes. This is a very opinionated um, performance. You know, it was... You know, It was something that a lot of people tuned, tuned into and that a lot of people had opinions on. So let's first get to these takes. The first take is around the question of, is this a believable result? Um, as you mentioned before, Chris Froome came in with this cloud of uncertainty around him with the adverse analytical, butamol, that obviously has lumped criticism on his back. And then he goes and unquirks something like this. I mean, this whole morning I was thinking to myself, the one guy in the Peloton who has an unresolved anti-doping case. Yeah, exactly. Is the guy who's now just nuking it, just like putting in the ride of the last twenty years. But guys, I don't know what are what are the explanations for why we should
2: believe in this result. I mean, I think we talked on the podcast more than once about this in the early part of the of the Giro about you know can Froome come back from his early deficit. And for me, if you just look at the route and you look at the riders on the start list, of Chris Froome at his best. Even if you give him like a four-minute disadvantage going into these last few stages, he's been good enough in the past that it's not even – it's not that far outside the realm of possibility. If you look at the start list and you say, oh, yeah, Froome could pick up a couple minutes on on a stage, definitely. The, the, the more questionable thing is just the fact that I think he started out so sluggish. And that's that's the thing that I think raises some eyebrows. But peak Chris Froome taking a couple minutes on Tom Dumoulin in a mountain stage, that in and of itself, less – that, that raises fewer eyebrows for me.
1: I would agree, Dane. And specifically, I think some of the things we can point to are uh, Froome's descending skills. Like you said, he picked up a good part of his time on that descent, at least getting him into the position where he can ride this brake and make it work and discourage those chasers from seeing him up the road, from, you know, tasting the chance of bringing him back. Second thing is really that that group of five riders with Dumoulin, I mean, Lopez and Carapaz, we're pretty concerned with watching each other for that best young rider's jersey. Sebastian Reichenbach, just happy to be there. I mean, basically with Thibaut Pinot, I mean, he needed a domestique who was like a supersized Big Mac type situation. And all he got in this race was maybe a quarter pounder and they forgot to put the fries in the bag. Reichenbach was pulling through. He was trying the best he could. But I mean, this isn't some huge engine to drive him along. It just came down to, to Dumoulin and Pinot. They did all right. But I mean, it's it's tough when you have this kind of Sort of disorganized group and then furthermore the group starts attacking each other on the final climb uh, You know and that's that's gonna obviously cause make it harder for them to pull back the gap, too
2: Yeah, I mean two dudes trading pools on a steep gradient. It, that's not a huge slipstream advantage there So in terms of the, the group chasing it wasn't like there were a, a hundred guys trying to track Chris No, no, down. no, yeah,
0: yeah. no And I think the other thing we have to think about is just the effort expanded up to this point in the Giro um, when we started to see Simon Yates tire yesterday, the first thought that popped in my head was, you know, this does make some sense because Simon Yates has been racing in an extremely aggressive race up to this point. He's been attacking every time the route goes up. He's won three stages. Tom Dumoulin has similarly expended lots of energy trying to stay with Yates. So has Domenico Pozzovivo and Thibaut Pino, these guys that have been up there in every stage of the race. Similarly, they've been using up their teammates to try and stay in contention. Chris Froome has also as well, but there have been a number of times where he's let the gap go. He has ridden into the finish at his own pace as opposed to getting sucked into the back and forth and the cat and mouse that we typically see in these stages. So a guy with his pedigree, with the size of his engine, and knowing that there's a good chance that he actually has a little bit, he has maybe fresher legs than some of these guys heading into a giant stage like this, I do think you can make the argument that perhaps Chris Froome just had more left in the tank.
1: Yeah, he might have. And I mean, it does also... It's it's such a classic case of cycling's moral relativism, too, because as we mentioned in the last podcast, Simon Yates went through trouble of his own with asthma medication, did a four-month ban for um, turbutylene or something like that back in 2016. No one was really too upset about that when he was dominating the Giro early on, but then Froome comes along and now everyone's freaking out. So it's tough. I mean, as cycling fans, we just... Kind of don't know how to feel about these people, and sometimes it just comes down to whether we like their personalities or whether we're tired of seeing them win a big race. Like Chris Froome has won everything, and everyone gets tired of a winner sometimes. Yeah,
0: but Simon Yates wasn't competing when he was banned. He did his ban and then you know served his time. I think the hard part with right. Chris Froome is that there's this there's this cloud over him, and there's a debate about whether or not he should be competing. I I, I sympathize with people out there who are upset about this because I do too. it speaks more towards inconsistencies and the inability of cycling to have clear-cut rules that explain whether or not someone should be competing. They said before, you know, he has this cloud of uh, uncertainty over him. He's allowed to race and then he uncorks something like this. Chapeau to him for uncorking that, but you know, because this thing has been unresolved because of both the UCI, but also because Froome and Team Sky have been fighting it, um, that's what leads to a situation like this.
1: Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see when this whole Salbutamol thing finally gets resolved. We look back at this race and are we gonna feel the same way or are we gonna be pretty pissed off that he romped through this Giro and tore everyone apart only to have you know the, the UCI come down on him for it. And, and for that matter too, I mean, To to the fundamentals of it, I mean, I don't even understand, like, what's the difference between terbutaline and salbutamol? I mean, they're both asthma drugs. One's a TUE. One doesn't require a TUE. It's just very confusing for fans once you get into this crazy pharmacology that dominates the questions of doping and all that. And it's it's just brutal. It, It definitely makes it hard to really just enjoy the race itself where it's just an exciting attack. Guys chasing, don't know what's going to happen, uncertain outcome. I mean, it, it makes us think back to the whole Floyd Landis thing when he won that crazy stage to Morzine only to be caught for doping later. And it's just like classic cycling fan roller coaster ride of
0: emotions where
1: it's just the thrill of the race and then the disappointment.
0: <laughs> so where does this performance sit Within the entire legacy of Chris Froome, the Chris Froome canon, the four time Tour de France, one time Giro d'Italia, or uh, Vuelta a España uh, winner. Yeah. <laughs> where where does this fit?
1: I mean, again, it just really kind of comes down to this crazy ongoing salbutamol case, but putting that aside, I mean, I can't think of a better performance he's had. I yeah, don't
2: know. Yeah. In terms of one day performances, to me, this is like far and away the best single day of racing he's put in. But to me, the question is more of overall, you know, he did have a pretty weak first week of the Giro. So overall Grand Tour performances, it's kind of harder for me to say this is the best one ever because there were tours that he just dominated all the way through. Yeah. So the totality of the Grand Tour, okay, maybe the, uh, for me the 2013 Tour, he just crushed everybody the whole way through the race. But single days of racing, he's never done anything even close to as dominant as his ride today.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think this is it. Um, And I actually am willing to elevate this Giro now beyond his other wins because he was coming from such a deficit. You know, I mean, with these other ones, he was dominating so thoroughly that it was very obvious that he was the strongest guy in the race. Whereas with this one he did not appear to be the strongest he didn't appear to be the top 5 strongest guys in the race for for the first 2 weeks and then uncork something like this that's both you know very well thought out but then also a representation of just brute strength
1: bold and just panache yeah those things just made it so thrilling and and i mean it's a mature win too when you look at it as like just having such a huge setback early on and to be able to ride your way into it and remain confident that you've got a chance of winning i mean how many riders in the world can can approach a Grand Tour with that sort of mental fortitude and know that they've got a shot in these final three days of climbing?
0: All right. So on the flip side of my question a little while ago, what are things that we would point out at the, about, about this performance and be skeptical of?
1: Yeah, well, again, like I had mentioned a little bit earlier, it just really stinks of the, of the Landis to Morzine performance. In the 2006 tour, that's, I mean... You look at it and you're like, how did he do that? And if you're asking how did he do it, then yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 80Ks, that's a long time to be out there in the breakaway. And then also, you know, on the descent off of Sestriere and then the initial climb to the Jaffrao, it's a valley, it's flat. That's an, uh, an area where you would expect a group to claw back time And they weren't doing anything. Again, we mentioned before, there could be great explanations for that. But if you were to be a uh, cynical old cycling fan, which our social media feeds tell us there are many of you out there, welcome to the conversation. I would count myself among them. That's true. Um, I think that's something where you might look at that and raise an eyebrow and say, uh,
2: okay, five against one, and one is handily winning. What the heck's going on here? Eyebrow after that first week and first week and a half where he was really not up there with those same guys. And now he's he's ridden himself into form, Fred, as you, as you've brought up a couple of times. Yeah, here. I mean that,
0: that is defense. the the yeah. sort of the to, the talking point from mid or late '90s, mid 2000s cycling was the whole concept of getting stronger throughout a Grand Tour, and the whole the whole thought was that if you came in undercooked, which was a little bit uh, undertrained, you could actually race your way into fitness throughout a three week Grand Tour. Uh, I think a lot of thoughts around that have been dispelled because. Modern science has shown that the rigors of a three-week grand tour, just everyone is gradually getting worse. Whether it's blood cells dying, whether it's muscle fibers fatiguing, you know, the whole concept of getting stronger day after day is a false one. The whole question is just, if you, if everyone's getting weaker, who's getting weaker the who's fastest? Who's getting
2: less weaker? Yeah. Yeah. And Not eight? Simon Yates, apparently. That, no. that guy got a lot weaker, apparently, yeah. over the course of the race. Yeah.
1: I mean... <laughs> It's a bummer. I think we oh, all yeah. I think we all wanted to see a real throwdown with Simon Yates being able to truly defend the pink, and you know regardless of what happened, we wanted to see him in the fight. So that's unfortunate. But uh, yeah,
2: you know. if you just look at the the current standings, if Simon Yates hadn't cracked today, let's say Yates had finished right with Dumoulin today, it would be neck and neck going into the final stage. That would have been a good show. Yeah, so it would that, have. that's definitely something that you know would have been rooting for, just that excitement level. And now we're not going to get that because he finished like thirty eight minutes down on the stage. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so now this race has become um much more spread out. In fact, the top 10 is separated by oh about 15 minutes. <laughs> Whereas uh before that, it was a, it was a bit tighter. Looks like after stage 17, the top 10 was separated by 7 minutes. So it's almost doubled.
2: I think talking about the gaps, that's also an important factor to keep in mind in terms of, uh, well, this today's stage and also the, the penultimate stage, the way the chases are going to work out. Because be, besides Tom Dumoulin, a lot of these other guys, I think, have kind of secondary objectives that they're maybe willing to settle for just because the gaps are so big. Pino is probably going to be fighting for the podium, maybe not for, you know, he's not thinking to so much about pink. The other two guys, two guys out there are going to be fighting for white. Yep. So it's just not so much... It's just not a lot of people, I think, to cooperate with Tom Dumoulin.
1: Dumoulin is the only one who can mount an attack in stage twenty to try and challenge Chris Froome, and who's going to work with him? Yeah, there are not many people exactly. that will work with him. And frankly, I don't think his Sunweb team has the horsepower to send someone up the road to provide support late in the race, like Team Sky might do. Like um, you know, any, there's a few other teams like Astana maybe that that do have those extra riders that are capable of doing that.
0: Yeah. So biggest losers on the day. In you know, in addition to poor Tom Dumoulin, who actually he was the Malia Rosa for a while, it didn't really happen. But uh, obviously Simon Yates went from first to out of the top ten completely. Rowan Dennis went from seventh to thirteenth. Hmm. Uh, we saw Domenico Pozzovivo fall from third place to sixth place. Oof. Um, and that really, yeah, that's it, that's
2: it. You uh, know, I
1: think the absolute biggest loser award though goes to Fabio Haru for dropping out of the race. He went
2: from somewhere to not on the start list. Anyway, yeah, so and that's... I mean,
1: you gotta wonder what's going on with him. This race was supposed to be his real crack at the Giro because he missed the start last year. He was injured last year, couldn't make it, and yeah, it's a pity. And and it's good. This goes back to our point about this Giro field maybe not being quite as strong as it really truly should be. And that opening the door for Chris Froome to kick it open, basically.
0: Well, yeah. And and for him to look at that third week and say, you know what? All these guys are going to race themselves into exhaustion for these first couple weeks. And I'm going to stay in there. And then these last few days, just going to just pile drive everyone. So chapeau, Chris Froome, for doing that.
1: Yeah, or not chapeau, depending on what happens <laughs> with
0: the Salbutamol thing. Yeah, depending on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's chapeau. a
1: that's an asterisk next yeah. to that chapeau. Yeah. So
0: well, by the time you guys listen to this, the Jeer to Tell You may have been may be over, and Chris Froome may be our champion, which would make him a grand tour winner, three grand tours in a row. Thrice T- in a row. Tiger Slam. Tiger Slam. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well stay tuned to VeloNews.com. We'll have more web stories, podcasts, videos from the Giro d'Italia, and we will catch up with you next week.